Hey everyone, this is Alyssa Klein. You're tuning in to episode 3 of Filminist Pod. This episode is presented by Listening Party and recorded inside of Canal Street Radio. You don't own me I'm not just one of your many toys You don't own me don't say I can't go with Hey everyone, welcome back to Filminist Pod. We have a very special guest today. With us here is Shruti Ganguly. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, Shruti? Thank you so much for having me, Alyssa. I'm a filmmaker based between New York and Oslo. And I have a production company, which actually has kind of evolved and we're doing other things as well. But we mostly make film, television, and video. Awesome. And so just for so everyone knows, Shruti is actually a close friend of mine. Uh, how did we meet Shruti? We met in our common friend's kitchen in Brooklyn at Sarah Sophie Flicker's house when we were putting together this concept of a chorus that came together, this incredible, you know, bringing together a group of women to sing songs of resistance, uh, resistance and protest and that was essentially the birth of the Resistance Revival Chorus, which is about two years old. Yeah, it's a, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary. And actually, the chorus is who does our theme music. It's a cover of You Don't Own Me. But yeah, so do you, do you want to tell everyone sort of your own story of how you came to be a filmmaker? Absolutely. I mean, I'm from India, and I grew up in Oman in the Middle East, and... I didn't really grow up thinking that I could have a career in filmmaking. I mean, it was a dream of mine to be an animator for Disney. At one point, I wanted to be a flight attendant so I could travel the world. And the more realistic thing that seemed to be kind of embedded in my system was that I was going to go into finance or consulting. And that's what I was going to come to America to go to college for. Before I came to the U.S., I went to boarding school in the Himalayas in India and I engaged, you know, I took part in theater, almost every sport possible, and art class. I was always in the art room, and then I also studied music and played the Indian Indian flute and studied Indian classical singing. I had studied Indian classical dance. I played the piano, so I had all these like artistic pursuits, but I really treated them like hobbies, and that since I was you know, good at school, I wouldn't necessarily pursue them as a career. And there's this understanding a lot of the times in the Indian system of schooling, where in after 10th grade, you decide if you're going to go into science, commerce, or art. And if you have amazing grades, you end up in science or commerce. And if you have not so good grades, you go into the arts. And there's this mentality, which I think is pretty unfortunate that we really need to challenge and when I did come to the States for undergrad, I went to Northwestern and I did economics and painting. And I had internships in investment banking and consulting. And then I had a tragic situation where my cousin's sister, who I was incredibly close to, and was really India's rising star as an actor, as a dancer, and she had her own show called What Women Want. She died in a car accident and it really you know, kind of made me you know, pause for a moment and think about this notion that we're all going to go sometime. That is, you know, inevitable. So what do I really want to do? And can I be brave enough to figure that out? 
And so I then kind of embarked on, you know, this other type of journey of just taking classes that sounded interesting to me. And, you know, from 20th century Russian literature to speech writing to ultimately this class, which was called um, Women in Indian Cinema, and it was being taught by a visiting professor from Bombay. And it was the first time I watched a movie that suddenly felt like, you know, it was different from anything I'd seen. It was Satyajit Ray's first film um, from his Apu trilogy called Bathar Banchali. And I suddenly realized the power that this medium had when it came to conveying so many things that I love, whether it's, you know, an incredible story and um, music and movement and art and light. And, you know, this incredible score by Ravi Shankar just is so powerful in the film. And it was just really incredible to see the story of this family really struggling, you know, in the midst of poverty and the monsoon and the hardships of their reality and trying to break out of it and how this film suddenly had hit the international stage and, you know, shown a light on these type of stories. And then I realized that this was a medium that was so incredibly powerful and it combined so many things that I loved. And that's when I got bitten by the bug and had to figure out how to, you know, work in it. And so what did, what did you do next? Did, you went to film school, didn't you? Eventually I went to film school. I remember after taking that class, um, I wanted to go work on a movie and I created an independent study pro, um, project essentially at Northwestern and spent the fall of my senior year in India. I was asked to act in a few movies and I had really loved theater growing up, but I really didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to work on films. And so I had an opportunity to work on a couple of sets really as an intern and essentially then became an assistant director um, with the AD departments on two films. And I got credit for being there and I wrote these papers about what I was seeing. And it was really interesting because I was starting to see, you know, even at that point on Indian movie sets, the women tended to be, you know, the hair people or the, you know, the person like ironing, you know, an actress's wardrobe. But there were some indie films that were being made. And I worked with this incredible director who I'd known um, for a while, Ruchi Narayan, and her set and crew was like, su you know, surprisingly a lot of amazing women in, you know, higher positions in that way. And um, it was an incredible experience to be there. And so then... I came back to the U.S., I graduated, and had to figure out how to get my visa sponsored, which is a whole other rigmarole, and I ended up moving to New York right after graduation. I got a job at Island Def Jam at the record label in the department that's now called Digital. Before, it was called New Media, <laughs> so this is how long ago it was, and it was a few years after 9-11, so visas were really hard to come by, and even more so at that you know, in the arts. And so I couldn't get my visa sponsored by Universal Music. And then I went to a hedge fund, actually. I worked there for a few months, and then they were like, we're changing our visa policies. And then I went to HBO. And I had an amazing opportunity, opportunity to work for these creative directors. And they were going to sponsor my visa, and I was so thrilled. But then there was a gap in when my student visa ended and when my work visa would start. So they retracted my offer. Mm -hmm. And so in the meantime, I ended up consulting with a nonprofit and convincing them to sponsor me. And I didn't get paid for three months when I didn't have my visa. And um, 
I ended up working the nonprofit space for a few years while directing videos that went viral by being on AOL and Yahoo. This is again how long ago it was. I had I've I've known you for two years now, and I had no idea about any of this. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> Can we find any of your viral videos? Yes, although it's you know it's so funny. I learned to edit on those things, and it was it was really fun because it kind of made like insta celebs of my friends. We did like a lot of spoofs, which I still love to make. And eventually I got a job at Nylon Magazine as their video producer and kind of running that video department. And I love that. Uh, you know, it was the first time my day job eventually was in that medium. But for several years, I worked in the nonprofit space. And so th then you ultimately did go to film school. I had been wanting to go to grad school for a while and I was quite torn because I really wanted to get my MBA and I really wanted to get an MFA and go through like a more rigorous training because up until that point, my film school had been going to the Strand and reading books by on directors and, you know, on Kurosawa and Fellini and Satyajit Ray, who are some of my favorites, and watching a lot of movies and then watching all the DVD extras on how they made their films. And so it was kind of, I was self-taught until that point and just directing videos and producing videos. And then... I found out that NYU had a dual master's program and I applied and I was really fortunate to get in and it was an incredible experience. You sort of became known as a producer and a lot of people know you as a producer, um, but now you're, you're really starting to tell your own stories. Um, do you want to talk about kind of like your transition from uh, producing other people's stories to telling your own? Absolutely. I mean... The irony is that I directed more before I went to grad school. And I, by virtue of doing the MBA and the MFA, I was kind of constantly getting told. When I told people that I want to produce and direct, I kept hearing, you can't do both. You can't do both. Um, you're not really a direct, true director if you're also getting an MBA. And for the first few years out of grad school, I was working with James. I was a producer. Um, for a bunch of projects that he wanted me to work on. But in the meantime, I took a job at MTV to redo a platform for the South Asian market for them called MTV Desi. And so I was also an exec at a media company and was developing content, finding ideas, figuring out how to make things. And I love that because it was very specific to my own culture. And then I left to go to Condé Nast to help rethink the content for Vogue. And the first thing I produced when I was there was 73 Questions with Sarah Jessica Parker, which kind of launched this incredible series. And so in the meantime, I was making movies. I worked in media, um, you know, as a producer. Then I went back to Nylon as their vice president of TV and video. And then ultimately, you know, a couple of years ago, I decided to start my own production company, which really came out of necessity. And in a way, I had to start a production company to be directing more. And I mean, I still produce for sure. And there are directors I've worked with for years and we've made movies that have gone to Venice and Sundance and Berlin. And we recently had a film and narrative competition at Tribeca. Which won didn't it win? It won the Nora Ephron Prize, which was so incredible and kind of surprising given that um, the film, it, you know, follows a misogynist. Um, and I saw it. He was super unlikable and super misogynistic. <laughs> I couldn't stand that guy. What's the name of the film? Initials SG. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's it's a really it's 
I mean, what I love about that movie, it's a dark comedy and it's so wildly creative and has incredible music. You know, Serge Gainsbourg's you know, songs covered in Spanish. We filmed in Buenos Aires, which is where the film is set. And the directors, Rania and Daniel, are a couple I will always work with. We, you know, when, when you've been a producer for someone, you've really been in the trenches with them and you learn and you grow together. And in a way, um, I feel like I'm a better director having learned so much from directors I admire and I respect and I get to work with. So this show is really for everyone um, who loves movies and TV. And not all of us totally understand what a producer does. Could you just shed some light on what exactly a producer of film or TV does? That, that is such a good question because I think the word producer is probably the most abused title in the film industry. I always joke saying like if everything goes right, no one thanks the producer. But if ev anything goes wrong, you blame the producer. Mm -hmm. So I would actually say that that's a part of the role. The producer can do various things and my job as a producer can range from managing physical production being on set to raising the money managing the deals to and a lot of the time I focus a lot on casting um, and having worked with several actors and um, been immersed in you know dealing with agents and doing deals like that and trying to figure out creative ways that we can work with actors and make it more interesting for them and finding the right roles for them and it, that 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 is something i i'm told i'm good at and so figuring out who the right people would be and working closely with the casting director as well and as a producer i really look at myself as a partner for the director where they have their vision and their idea and their story and i'm really working hard with them to bring it to life in the best way that we can and running a set that is inclusive and where everyone is respected and treated well and managing those expectations and filmmaking is really hard and sometimes you're dealing with really high stress environments and I would say that my general vibe on set tends to be quite relaxed and I don't sweat the small stuff I'm somebody that people can always come and talk to should they feel uncomfortable and we kind of set those boundaries and those rules at the beginning of production and so I'm very cautious, um, you know, in terms of how a set is run. And I'm quite particular about it, not just on a feature, but on a video or anything else. And can you tell us a little about some of the some of your own projects that you're currently working on? Gosh, we have so many and I love them all. And, you know, that's the fun part about when you do have your own company and you, you really get to decide what you want to get behind. And I am super grateful for the opportunity from other people who've like brought projects to me as a producer. And at this point, I really, with my team, we're responsible for our decisions. And so we really, the projects that I'm going to mention, we really love. Mm -hmm. And so we have a whole range in terms of some of the projects I'm directing I've written a narrative feature called Priya at 10 that we are putting together and um, it's a coming of age comedy set in Jackson Heights, Queens and follows a young girl as she's navigating the summer of her 10th year and dealing with her, the changing friend dynamic she has with her best girlfriend mm -hmm. because they're preparing for a dance contest. And so as much as it's a comedy and it focuses on the 10 year old character and a lot of the characters are very young, in a way they deal with themes that one can really reflect on as things that happen even when we're older. And 
it really kind of navigates that complex relationship between girlfriends and what it means to suddenly feel insecure or competitive and what causes bullying. So that is a project that's very near and dear to my and, heart. And Priya is Indian American? She's American. Okay. Her parents are South Asian. Okay. But she's an American kid. Cool. And so that's a project that um, that I wrote, and I wrote the draft for Priya in a weekend. And I think it came bursting out with such force, and it only later took me a moment to realize, wait, I've written this in my culture, my community, amongst people I know, and all the characters in this are South Asian. And in a way, I think... It was time for me to write something like that. When I was at MTV, I had been able to work with amazing South Asian artists. And in a way, I think this film is a celebration of that culture and that identity. There's another project on our docket called Citizen M, which is an action drama with thriller elements that tracks the story of a young kid fresh out of school who really wants to be a rapper. And his family is Pakistani, and he ends up getting caught between an FBI and police sting operation and becomes an, an informant against his own will. And so, you know, that's another project. Um, I usually don't do docs. And it's been really interesting because we have one that we just got the life rights for that is, you know, very near and dear to us, which follows the story of Jennifer Glover, who was a security guard at one of the U.S.'s most important nuclear research facilities, and during a routine training drill, she was violently assaulted by two of her colleagues. And so it really, you know, tracks Jen's story. And she is currently suing two of the largest government contractors in defense. And this, I learned about this through an article that my friend Katie Benner of the New York Times wrote, who covers the Department of Justice. And Katie won a Pulitzer last year for her reporting around Me Too. And so we've been filming with Jen over the last few months, and Katie and I are co-writing the reenactment scenes for this film. So that's currently in production. That's amazing. And so you touched a little on the South Asian community. For someone who isn't so familiar with the amazing community and the amazing work that's being done, what would you want them to know? Well, there's such a range within that space when it comes to religion, like backgrounds and I think the more specific we can get the better it is for our community because so many people just get lumped together as like a brown person and when you're looking at South Asia you really are looking at you know people of Indian, Pakistani, Sri Lankan, Bangladeshi and even Nepali origin and then you know also even in the Caribbean and these different cultures and communities that have so much diversity but um, sometimes it gets lumped together, and most of the time you get called Indian. And I think that we got to really allow ourselves to be specific and complex, and it's okay. And it's great that there's so much visibility now with incredible South Asian actors and musicians and talent kind of really having their own shows and platforms. And, you know, I really hope that we continue being brave about, like, our difference, the difference within our community and how rich it is. Do you, do you want to shout some fellow South Asian creatives out or it's, it's okay if you don't? I mean, you know, you're looking at folks like, you know, Lily Singh is about to get her, you know, go she's, on air in September. Yeah. And I think she's queer. 
I mean, look, it's amazing that she is so fierce and is doing her thing. And there's such an amazing diaspora in Canada. You know, we're all over. As somebody who grew up in the Middle East, I can tell you that there's a huge community there. And it's been really exciting to see the success and to celebrate the success of so many incredible people. You have Priyanka Chopra and Frida, Frida Pinto, Mindy Kaling, Hassan Minaj, Asif Manvi, you know, Aziz, Riz Ahmed. I mean, it's awesome. You, there's so many people to name. What should we talk about next? Um, gosh, I mean, I only talked about the film stuff so far. And then on the TV side, we have some really cool things. We have a show called The Scoop that we're doing with Meredith Coop, Michelle Obama's stylist of the last nine years. Oh, wow. Who essentially really built her into a fashion icon. Do you remember those boots? That oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, is it Balenciaga? I'm not I, too I sure. So. I just I remember the boots. Oh, yeah. they were. I mean, Meredith is incredible, and it's been really fun to work with her and you know put this show together. And so we're talking to partners right now to bring it to air. And then another show that we have... Is called Major that we're doing with the hairstylist Rick Pepino, which follows the artistry of some of the most major hair and makeup artists in the world and really tracks their close relationship with some of the biggest celebrities in the world and how they collaborate. And so I'm going out to LA on Monday for meetings for that. And so really, you know, and then of course we do branded content and video work. And since the company started our, in the last couple of years, our clients have ranged from Planned Parenthood, to Thinks, to Google, to Unilever. And it's really exciting to grow it and build it with an incredible team of people who inspire me every day. Because this industry is hard and you're as good as your work and your colleagues and your continuing collaborations. And so I think that that always gets me excited, you know, with what we're doing. It's about the possibility of how we can change opinion. And I think that's like why, what, you know, what gets me going every day is like how we can change the world in the same way that, you know, when I watched Satyajit Ray's movie and there was a light that went off, I really hope to make films and content and television with my friends that is, sets off a light for so many other people. What's your filminist uh, watch list? You know, it's so funny. Our hard drives are actually named after directors we love who are women. So we have the Deepa Drive, the Mira Drive, the, I love, the I Mary love Drive. Mira. You know, it's like, at the same time, you know, it's like, I love a film like American Psycho. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, Mary Heron is such a talent. And I remember when I saw, that came I out. I saw her movie this summer. She wrote, Char- she did Charlie Says, I think. I could yes, be yes. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when she made American Psycho, like, she got slammed by the critics. I went to Sundance and I mean, she told me how people were like, you should never make movies again. Mm. Like, how can you make a film like that? And now it's a cult classic. She really broke through that. I mean, um, Booksmart is wonderful. I really love The Farewell by Lulu Wang with Aquafina. And I thought that was tremendous. I'm excited to see Cher by Pippa Bianco. Um, That's on HBO now. And um, there's... Like, it's been so exciting to see my amazing girlfriends really rise with their own stories and get them made. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of, like, the Shruti Ganguly, like, feminist watch, I mean, watch list, I would say, uh, you know, as of late, I love 
The Farewell, I Love One Child Nation. There's so many incredible docs. And I'm really excited to kind of see what's coming up this award season because like now all the screenings are happening and it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. Hopefully no repeats of last year with certain Ho- movies. Hopefully. <laughs> That's always the hope. Um, well, is there anything else in your mind? You know, when I started Honto 88, we I really was focusing... Which is your production company. Yeah. So when I started Honto 88, I wanted it to be a production company that focused on brave TV, film, video, and VR that makes you stop, think, and look again. Mm-hmm. And that's our tagline, in a way. That's our foundation. That's our thesis. And essentially, we've also kind of jumped in to find things that we're not seeing and fulfill them. So, for example, and what I really appreciate is that you haven't asked me any question about as a female filmmaker or mm-hmm. female director, because so many times in press, a lot of people start or lead with that question and it's kind of become like a crutch. And after a while, we I was quite tired of it. And I thought, if I'm getting questions like this, so are all my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And so we then started a section on our website called Filmmaker Files, where we do in-depth interviews with other incredible filmmakers who happen to be women, but we never ask gender-based questions. And we deep dive into their own story and their artistry and what gets them excited. And we take these incredible photos on film. And so we've started that. We've done about nine and we're going to keep going and then ultimately make that a book. That's awesome. And now we have a collaboration also of, you know, I don't think... I'm super brave when it comes to even talking about myself as an artist. I'm getting comfortable with it, having been, you know, producing and you know, for other people for so long. And in a way, we created, a, we've done a collaboration with the jewelry line called Brevity to come up with a line of five pieces that really celebrate the artists in people who feel like they need a bit of armor. So we've done these necklaces that have like a photo camera, a film camera, a cassette to a film slate to the number 88 which is from our production Mm -hmm. company name or from our company name which is a sign of infinite good luck in asian culture Ah. so now suddenly we are in the jewelry business is it is it online right now we are going to be launching it in a couple of weeks so that's really look out for that um but you know i think this is a really amazing time for people to take charge and be brave about telling their own stories in a way that is responsible, respectful, and brave. And I don't think I necessarily was like that even a few years ago. And it's been really cool to kind of find that confidence. And I'm super grateful to my friends and my family and my community and my boyfriend for that support. And to you, because you, you you know, and um, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done was the piece that we did on Shondaland together where I really got to talk about my films and, you know, being a director. That's awesome. And I think, like you were saying, the the more specific uh, storytellers are able to be, the better. So we want more specific uh, stories out there. And the other thing I'll say is that we cannot exclude, you know, you know white men from the conversation, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that we have to be inclusion means everyone Mm -hmm. and we have to be really mindful of that and not making people feel excluded Mm -hmm. i think there's an incredible awareness of you know white privilege or you know there should needs to be Mm -hmm. more awareness for some people 
you know, but I think that we really have to be mindful of how we all work together and solve these problems together because mm -hmm. this is not just an issue for women. It's not just an issue for people of color. Mm -hmm. There's got to be this type of open communication and collaboration to figure out solutions in the entertainment industry mm -hmm. from what our sets look like to what our stories look like to how we just work in general. Thanks everyone for listening to episode three of Filminist Pod. Special thank you to our guest, Shruti Ganguly. This episode was presented in partnership with Listening Party. Be sure to follow the Listening Party crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents, and also be sure to follow Canal Street Market on Instagram, which is where this episode was recorded inside of. Thanks, everyone. Just one of your many toys You don't own me Don't say I can't go with other boys And don't tell me what to do Don't tell me what to say And please, when I go out with you Don't try to change me in any way. You don't own me. Don't tie me down cause I'd never stay. And don't tell me what to do. And don't tell me what to say.